Hello, mamas. We are Allison, Kelsey, and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom. Nothing is off limits here. From peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out, we'll talk about it. Today, we have a special guest with us. Richard Fletcher is a former professional gambler that shows coaches how to sell high ticket offers organically on Facebook. Those are his own words right off of his Facebook profile. Last year, I saw an ad for a copywriting challenge with Richard. And ever since I had started my own business, I struggled with engagement in my social media posts. So I thought I would give it a try. And by the end of the first day, I knew that I would be registering for his course. It was exactly what I needed. And I wasn't wrong. It's been the single most useful knowledge that I've learned since I started this online business journey. And since we are in the midst of a business series, I knew I had to invite him to be a guest to share his knowledge about copywriting with all of you. All right. Um, so our first question today is actually going to ask Richard to give us a little bit of his background. So if you, you know, just heard he went from being a professional gambler to now a copywriting coach. So how did you go from being a professional gambler to your current business you have now? Well, I'll try, I'll try and give you a short story so we don't spend all day on this, but yeah, I was, um, I used to work in a corporate job and I did that for years and always wanted to do my own business. I was always doing my own things on the side and like a little business doing this. And I was, I was like a sucker in like 2008 who like sign up for every one of those, you know, sack your boss, turnkey offers, a, turnkey offer that pulls dollars in your bank while you sleep, all that nonsense. I signed up for every single one of those and get nowhere. And eventually I got to the point of my corporate job in what, early 2013 where I'm just like, I can't be asked for this anymore. And I just quit with nothing to go to. Meanwhile, on the side, I was doing okay, like making money from basically sports betting. And so I was like, I'll just do that. So I did that for about a year. Um, and it went well at first in the summer, but then in the winter, it just kind of started tailing off. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I'm working like nine, 10 hours a day, staring at two screens. Like it's not glamorous. It's not like when you think professional gambler, like James Bond works and walks in a casino with like, you know, two honeys on his arm. He's like, throws it all on uh, on red or whatever. And then walks off again with his, you know, with his uh, a Vulcan martini looking cool. It's not like that at all. You're staring at two screens with no one to talk to all day, apart from a cat going a bit stir crazy. And I worked out in the end, I was like, I was making about the same as I would if I had a really crap job. So in the end, I went and just went and did some IT contracting instead. Meanwhile, doing this on the site. And then um, I went to a seminar in like 2014. I got talking to this woman there um, randomly over lunch about like relationships and the problems that men have getting with women and the problems women have connected with men, all that kind of stuff. She's like, you should be a relationship coach for men. I was like, really? Or what? She's like, yeah, guys don't know the stuff you talk about. So um, she had an ulterior motive. It turns out she was a business coach, but she helped me set up um, my coaching business then. And as it turned out, I didn't really know anything about copywriting and uh, Neither did she, to be honest. And I sort of, that's when I sort of dipped my toe into all this, sort of figuring this stuff out. And I did every course imaginable. I read every book you could think of. And I ended up going through four different rebrands of um, my program before I finally hit on something that actually sort of 
worked. I also had a one-to-one coach at this time, specifically for copywriting, who just ripped me apart for about two months solid. I literally, every time I spoke to him, I'm like, okay, what beating am I going to receive today? This is going to be horrible. And it was horrible. But eventually, um, I mean, I'm sure as Alice can, can, Alison can attest to, it's like literally every piece you submit to me, I'm sure it's like, oh God, what's he going to say now? But there's only so many mistakes right. you can make until you're like, you know, it's like, it's like just like plugging a bucket with all the holes in it. Eventually there's no holes left and the water stays in. And that's kind of how it was for me with my copywriting. Eventually I just stopped making mistakes. Then after a while I learned to kind of bring my own personality back into it um, because you kind of find yourself writing like other people and copying them. And here we are today, basically. Once I got to a point where I was actually selling stuff with words I was writing, I was like, okay, I must be pretty good at this now. And here we are now. Um, that's the that's the abridged version. The, uh, the long version takes about three hours. So um, <laughs> lucky you didn't ask for that one. Um, I like that you mentioned that you weren't naturally good at copywriting at first because that was something I was going to ask you. And when I signed up for this course, I had always thought of myself as a good writer. I love to read and I always got good grades in English. And it was crazy to me how much that skill was not the same mm-hmm. as this skill. And now that I have learned this a little bit, although I think this is a never ending thing that you learn forever. <laughs> yes. Um, it, I look back and think, no, I wasn't a good writer. I was rambling and I didn't get to the point and, and all of those things that, that I've learned in there over critiques of things I have submitted. So it's really it's such a good skill for a business, but it's also a good skill for life. Mm. Well, I think that's an important point we said about, um, I actually think that if you're intelligent and you're good at school and you're in like, you know, top set for everything and you're getting good grades, especially in English, which like that applied to me as well. Um, like I'm not the person who's like, oh yeah, I was the, um, I was the bottom set student who failed on everything. I was a you know, high school dropout. And then I went to jail for 10 years. And this and that. no, no, I, I did well at school. <laughs> but, uh, and I actually think that being a good writer is a hindrance. A good writer academically in terms of school terms is a hindrance. And the further you go in the education system, the more of a hindrance it is. Because if you, like my wife is doing a master's degree at the moment and the stuff that gets her good grades, I'm just like, I can't even read a paragraph of this. It's like just like one paragraph is like one sentence. It's like 25 lines long. And that is the uh, complete antithesis of copy. So it kind of, the term of terminology of being a good writer depends what the end goal is. If you're trying to write like war and peace, then you're a good writer. If you're trying to sell stuff, that kind of stuff that gets you an A in university and school is going to make you zero money whatsoever. The kind of stuff I'm putting on my Facebook feed right now, the sell stuff would get me like an F in school, but I'm not bothered because it makes me money. I would like to say, I just have like my huge aha moment. So unlike Allison, I've never thought myself a good writer, but I've, I did well in school and I always got decent grades in my English class, but it was very hard for me to, to get those grades. Um, and so I've been trying, I mean, since I like, signed up for your last challenge and read your 18 tips and picked one to start with been trying to write like an English paper. Mm, And (laughs) that's why I'm like, why is this so hard for me to make a single post sometimes? Mm. So I, I, Mm. the writer's block, because I'm trying to write like I did 20 years ago in college where I need to shift my mindset on not writing like college. So I have my, my one question was like, I'm not good at writing. So can I be good at copy? And you just answered that. Um, by saying I would be better at copy if I like kind of don't think about my writing. 
Yeah, yeah. So right. it's, um, yeah. I, th- I mean, that's one of the big problems that people have is they think, oh, I've got to sit down and write copy. And very often I find them when I'm on the initial call with new students and uh, clients, um, and they try, like, say, if they try to write out what they do, it sounds terrible. When I say, well, explain what you do, explain how you help people. And then they explain, I'm like, that's good. Why didn't you write that? And they're like, well, I just, I just said some simple stuff. What do you mean? That's what you should be saying. It's like, you, if we think of copy as being a conversation between you and one other person. So if I was like, if you were interested in my copywriting course, for example, Melissa, uh, and you were asking me about it, I suddenly wouldn't then start talking in this weird, like long flowery, like English dissertation sort of <laughs> university kind of way. You'd be like, why are you talking in that weird way, Richard? But when we sit down to write copy, we think we have to do too much. And it's really, I'm literally just talking to you like, if we, if we were just like sat in a bar or sat at like the kitchen table having a coffee or something, you're like, what's this copywriting course all about? I'd be like, well, so the idea is that um, I show you how to write one social media post a day. I've got four types of social media posts. I show you how to write one of those per day and cycle them over and over. And basically by the time you're done after 30 days, if you just do one of those a day, you're going to be in a position where you're getting leads in your inbox, like good leads. And then all you've got to do is convert those and you've got a business. Like that's literally all you, probably the simplest way to start a business these days if you're a coach. But that's how I would explain it to you, nice and simple, like you're talking to a friend. Um, literally, the way my posts come out are the exact way that I would talk to you, the exact way I'm talking now. Um, I don't know if that takes, a, I don't know if that makes it easier or harder, but I, personally, I just sit down and go, well, what would I say to someone if I was trying to explain this? I think that makes sense. And we'll, we'll definitely include a link to your course because I, I feel like I'm going to need that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but by all, by all means, yes, yes, I'll send you. Uh, I assume the links will go in the notes or something like that. I can't even remember the link to my own course, to be honest. Perfect. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. Um, a couple of things when you first were talking about your transition from um, into being a business coach that stuck out with me is uh, one, you got a coach, right? And we talked about that uh, last week hmm. in our episode of just having an independent business is having a coach, uh, whether it's a group coaching or one-on-one coaching is something we highly recommend, uh, you know, having some sort of business coach to help bounce ideas off of, validate things with you, give you, you know, the nudge in the right direction. Um, And so, uh, you know, you did that too. And the other part was that you've made multiple changes. You said four different rebranding changes. And you said you started 2014 with your coach. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't still have that coach now. I had her for a year. I've had loads of coaches and loads of programs at the time. But over, you know, eight years, seven, eight years, you've changed four times. And, you know, we talked, when we talked about in the last episode about independent business owning, like we talked about how it is challenging and can be difficult. And, you know, obviously that coaching piece helps, uh, but not to get completely stuck in one thing and how you might end up changing, you know, kind of shifting a little, you know, now you do copy, but you were at one point, did you do the relationship coaching? Yeah. So the initial, the relationship coaching thing, that was the thing I changed four different brands of. And then it got to the point in 2018 where um, I got married and I found myself, I found myself just getting bored of a dating coaching, like same old guy, same problems. I was kind of like finding it tedious. Meanwhile, at the same time, I was in loads of Facebook groups about marketing, just talking about marketing, giving out advice, not looking to start a business on it or any thoughts on it. Um, but I found myself a lot of times like giving advice, which would dis- disagree with the group owner. And then they get pissed off with me and shut me out sometimes. And I'm like, why don't I just start my own Facebook group where I can say whatever I want? The only person that can kick me out of 
many as Zuckerberg. So I did. And then that grew to like six, well, no, a thousand people inside six weeks. And I was just posting every day on there, just posting my opinions about stuff. Again, no intention of starting a business, but it became clear after a point that there's people here who need more help than I can just give in like Facebook posts and comments. Like they need me to sit with them on a call and answer questions and give them a plan forward. So I just put a post out that said, who would be interested if I did a 90 day challenge, which starts you today, gives you something to do every day for 90 days and every day it moves you closer. And by the time you're done after 90 days, your business is in like, you know, complete 180 shift where you're like, you've really moved forward. Um, a, f- a bunch of people commented on the post and said, yes, I end up signing up seven people at 2K. So I said, this will be 5K going forward, but you can sign up at two now because you're basically guinea pigs and there's no guarantee. But you know, you're getting a discount for taking that risk. And obviously you get to do it now and not later. So um, seven of them signed up. So that was like 14K in a week, which to me was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I, I got results for those people, use those, put them back into my content again and say, hey, look, look, at this is working. You guys should have signed up before. Anyone else interested? And you have generated new leads, sold them in at a higher price, and then that kind of generates some there. So that's how somebody could do it, start from scratch, by the way. Uh, maybe getting off track from a copywriting theme here, but there's a lot of people sat there going, oh, well, I don't have any history and I don't have like hundreds of millions of happy clients. How do I start? That's one way to do it. I, I think that's a great way to share with our listeners that you don't have to be the, you know, 30,000 followers in this one niche area to get started. So if you want to get started, you should get started. Yeah. I mean, the quickest possible way to get started, um, as long as your audience is on Facebook, which most people are, um, is you find if you, if, right, if, as long as you know, you can help people, if you've like, do you know what? I know a lot about this subject. Let's say for example, a relationship coach or even a financial advisor, Generally, you get to the point where you want to be a coach because you've you've kind of you figured out a bunch of stuff yourself and you're now in a position where you're like, oh, if only I'd known this stuff two years ago or five years ago. Essentially, most coaches are coaching former versions of themselves. So then you'll either say, okay, I've got these results myself. Who else would like to learn this? Or maybe you've helped other people like your friends and family as well. And you say, I've got results for these people. I want to go out to a wider audience who would be interested in learning this stuff. Um, but I haven't done this as an official program before. So who would be interested? You know, I'll give you a big discount if you want to be a guinea pig. So then you're not pretending you're not like, you know, acting like, Oh yeah, I'm the biggest world expert ever. You're saying, look, I'm new to this, but you're getting the benefit of a discount. And there'll be some people who say, no, I want to know when it's absolutely safe and I've got the testimonials and I can believe in you. But there's lots of people I'm the kind of person to be like, yeah, it makes sense. I'll jump into that. Yeah, I'm that kind of person too. Hmm. I plus I love a discount. So I've had um, the photographer that we used to use. I did that. She was brand new, and she was so cheap, and she was awesome. And I used her for years, and then all of a sudden, her prices were a little bit too much for me to even be able to afford. But those first, I think, four years I used her, I got these bargain basement photos that. She ended up being featured some wedding that she shot was on the Today Show because she was so good. So I'm a big fan of taking a chance on somebody new because you're getting a really good bargain and they're going to be giving you everything they have because they're trying to build their Mm. credibility. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think very often as human beings, we we tend to think, the more expensive something is, the better it is. And sometimes that is true, but 
there's a lot of people charging 10, 20 K who seem to know very little or just put you through basic information. And then there's some people who are kind of new, who know a lot of stuff, but just don't have a client share. And if you can find those people, it's like gold in there. That's not, it doesn't really help me because I'm kind of expensive right now. I should be saying go for the expensive ones, but you know, yeah, if you're kind of new and you're looking for a coach, you don't have to shell out like $10,000. You can, there's people out there charging like 500 a month who are actually good, but they just need to kind of take the next step themselves and get more testimonials, but they've got the knowledge. Um, but there's also terrible people charging that same money as well. So it's not always easy to find the right person. But going back to what you said before, Melissa, I don't think every single person in the world needs a coach, but it certainly helps, you know, and uh, even as you get better, I still have coaches now, you know, Olympic hundred meter runners, they have coaches, they have all kinds of coaches, um, you know, top tennis players, Roger Federer, Djokovic, they have, to, they have coaches too. Um, not because they don't know how to play because they're trying to get everything out of themselves that they can. It makes sense. Um, it just cuts the learning time down so much, especially when you have a good coach. Um, and it's funny, you said you're kind of expensive. Um, I don't know if your copywriting course has increased since I bought it last year. Maybe it has. But even if it's went up a little bit, I thought that was a great value myself. And um, I've used it in my main business, you know, money management, but I also used it in my side business where I sell MLM products. And I had basically made no sales in that before I started doing this other than twisting my mom's arm and my sister. And once I started using these techniques with that, that the sales I made from there paid for the course. Good. I mean, that's how, that's how it's meant to be. I mean, when I say to work with me, to work with me one-on-one, like where I actually coach you through for a long period of time, that's expensive. But yeah, I I created this because it's a self-study course. And obviously you get the student group, but you don't get like, you know, unlimited support from me so yeah that, that that is a lot more affordable for somebody i mean the price of that now is either it's 799 dollars at this time of recording without the student group or 999 with the student group and his payment plans available so it's not crazy money Mm-mm. no and then i just uh i just posted this in the group the other day i decided to do a little side copywriting to see how that went mm. and i got a job right away so i saw that yeah well done well done there yeah so that's that's another thing you can do. You learn copywriting for your own business, but then you can do copywriting for other people because guess what? Other people need this help too because most people find it really hard to write good copy. Like you were saying before, Melissa, um, and it's often people who are more intelligent, who had better grades at school, who struggle with it because you kind of get stuck in your own head and try to try too hard sometimes. Yeah, that, that was totally me trying, I think, trying too hard, right? Like, oh, I needed to like make sure I have the right... Anyway, my, <laughs> my like perfection, I like, I'm a, I'm a numbers person actually, but what I really liked was like diagramming sentences in English way back when. Um, and it's like, I have to have like everything in the right order. And clearly I don't talk that way, but that's how I felt like I had to write. And I think that simple tip you just said of like copy as a conversation and how would I say this can go a long way for anyone. Hmm like me of course that that assumes i mean we want to write like we talk well that assumes that in person you would actually say it in a compelling easy to understand way if you were talking to a friend and most people don't do that either um you know i've been i've been on clubhouse for a few months which is like the new audio kind of rooms app and it's like what you find is most people when they come on the stage in my room whatever and like explain what it is they do they spend 
five, 10 minutes going around in circles, going all kinds of word salad waffle that makes no sense whatsoever. Then you end up having to pick out the bits. So you were said about this. Did you mean this or did you mean this? Oh, you actually meant this. So when you said that, okay, right. So this is the question you're asking. And then you distill it down. So the question you're asking is, how can I get more followers on Instagram? And you're like, why the hell did that take eight minutes to ask that question? But that's how most people are. So if that's how you talk when you talk to your friends, then we need to thin that down as well. Uh, it's about being really, obviously, right like you speak, but also be really clear and concise. So being able to explain, generally, it's like you're helping people who have a problem. So um, let's say you're a, I don't know, a fitness coach, and you help women who are in their 40s, who've always been overweight, who've tried every diet and fitness plan going. So you start with a problem, which is they want to lose weight. But if you just come in straight, if, but you've got to understand in the mind of that person, they're going to be super skeptical about a new program that says, hey, join our fitness program to lose weight because they've done everything before. So why is your, your, your offer going to help them when all this previous stuff doesn't? So you've got to be able to go, right. So it's about thinking about it in the right way before you even open your mouth or sit down to write. And you go, okay, why is my offer going to work? Well, um, and this is, I've got one person who literally did this like a couple of weeks ago and has done well with it. Um, his offer is all about sustainability. So the problem with a lot of those programs like Insanity, for example, I mean, it's called Insanity for God's sake, what do you expect? It absolutely kills you with effort. Yes, you'll lose weight on Insanity, but unless you've got the gym psychopath gene installed in your head, which about one of in a thousand people do, where they enjoy being sick in a bucket after every workout, most people don't want to work that hard because they're normal human beings. Well, you're going to give up. Just like when you go on a crash diet and you like cut your calories in half, you're going to give up because you're going to spend every single day going, when can I end this awful diet? It's a bit like, like a lot of women do. Like I used to have, a, I used to go out with a girl, like a lot of her friends, like if I had a wedding coming up or a holiday coming up in six weeks time, they would be like, right, I'm starving myself for the next six weeks. And it'd be misery. Then they would just be like, how about date on the calendar they're working towards where they can just like, right, crack open a bottle of Chardonnay and start eating pizzas again. And they'd be like, oh, thank God for that. And then the weight comes back on. So how can you do that in a more sustainable way? Well, his way is he sits down with you one-on-one in the first place and goes, okay, tell me everything about your life. And he'll find out, you know, if you've got kids and you've got a husband and you're working away from home and you don't have much time, maybe you're working shifts. So this week you can get to a gym, but next week you can't. Normal programs will tell you the, well, tough luck, you weren't committed enough. He will find a way to work around it. If you can only give him five minutes each day and you can't get to the gym, he'll give you some exercise to do where like you're just doing squats or something on like your living room floor or something like that. Something that just moves the needle forward a tiny bit. Can we cut a bit out of your diet so you're just in a slight caloric deficit, but not crazy amounts? So you're still, you're still enjoying your glass of wine at weekend, you're still having a pizza, but you're having four slices of pizza instead of six. That might be enough to move a needle. So then he'll have you do that program for say three months and you'll lose quite a bit of weight, not as much as you would if you were on like super crazy insanity plan, but you don't feel like you've, you've been on a diet. Therefore, you can stick to it forever. So his premise is that all those other diets are impossible to sustain, and that's why you don't stick with it. And they tell you that if you don't stick with it, it's your fault. You weren't, didn't have a willpower. So that's his whole thing. He'll sit down with you and make it unique for you so you can then work through it, and then he's with you every step of the way. So, so then you get the message from a copyright point. Of view. You get the message, right, now I understand why it didn't work for all those years and why those other plans failed. Maybe it can be different this time. So that's kind of like, before I sit down to write, that's the level of thinking I'm putting in. And then literally, once I've done that, the words kind of write themselves. So it's really about understanding where your prospect is at, what they've seen before, the skepticism they have in their head, 
and then communicating the answers to those questions. Um, that was a super long answer. Please, please tell me if, you, if that didn't make sense or you've got follow-up questions on it. I thought that made perfect sense to me. <laughs> Not only did it make sense, I kind of want to hire that guy. <laughs> well, I can, put you, I can put you in touch with him, actually. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty good. Um, as not being a woman who wants to lose weight, I can't attest to it myself. But, you know, he's uh, um, yeah, he seems to get results. So yeah, if you, if you want an introduction, by all means, I'll send you his way. But yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. You know, if your copywriting is on the right track, if you say this to somebody and they go, can you tell me more? Like, how, how do I get in touch with him? Or, you know, uh, somebody who should be interested, if they start going, I'm interested, how do I know, how to find out more about it? Then you know you're on the right track. In fact, I forget the name. There was a, there was a I don't know if he was a copywriter or what. He, when he came up with an offer, apparently he used to, used to go into bars. Like he came up with an offer which was like for men around a certain age, like 30s and 40s, um, of like, like working class type. And I can't remember exactly what he offers, but you'd go into a bar and say, Hey guys, can I do you? Can you do? Can, I, can you do me a massive favor? I'll buy you a round of beers if you'll sit and listen to me for five minutes. Basically, I've come up with this new product for men, and I just want you to tell me whether you think it's any good or not, or whether it makes any sense. That's all I want. You know, I'm not looking for anything else. And he buy them a round of beers, and he sit down, he tell them the product, and he knew if it was any good or not, uh, not from their assessment of going, well, you know, you lost me at paragraph two or whatever. But if he, if it was one or two of the guys who were like, how do I get hold of this? He knew he was on the right track. So that's how you can kind of test like an offer. Like if you go and tell people and go, hey, what do you think of this? And they start wanting to buy it, people who should be interested, you know you're kind of on the right lines. Um, so literally like that kind of long thing I just said then, I would just translate that into actual text, tidy it up a bit, take out the bits where I talk too long and over-explain myself. Bang, that's it. That's copywriting right there. That also sounds like a fun way to make sales <laughs> if you're tired of sitting in your living room because I'm picturing myself oh can I go into a coffee shop and offer to buy people coffee if they listen to me hmm. yeah you, you you can obviously this kind of stuff takes a bit of courage takes a little bit of like you know thinking outside the box because you ask most people hey what do you think about the idea of just going to a coffee shop and you know accosting random people uh, they're gonna be like don't do that you'll be right weirdo but actually most people especially the ones who are just sat there you know just like reading a paper or whatever just sat there having a, they'll be like if you're like could you do me a favor i know it sounds weird i'll happily buy you a coffee can i just run this by you to tell me if it sounds crazy i'm just kind of doing instead of just asking basically random members of the public who aren't my family who will tell me the truth i just want somebody who's going to tell me the truth and tell me if it sounds like a load of crap would you be willing to do that i need like two minutes of your time and then you make your pitch and to see if you've done it now i've not done this in a coffee shop but i've done this plenty of times like virtually online um it's it's what is it's one thing you can do it's not necessary but you kind of know it's one thing i do i do this in clubhouse rooms as well i tested out my intro so on clubhouse very often you'll come up to a stage and people say oh give an introduction for who you are and i've tested out all kinds of introductions and the introductions that end up getting people messaging me saying hey can you tell me more about what you do i go that was the right introduction and i stick with it what what was the difference of like that introduction versus others? That ah, good question. So, um, so first of all, um, I, I'll tell you I'll tell you my pitch if you like, and then deconstruct if you want to say like this is my thirty second introduction. Yeah, let's do it. So, um, so it goes like this: I I work with um, 
I work with other coaches and service providers to get them to the 20K a month mark and beyond without spending money on ads by posting on their Facebook personal feed. And I do that with three steps. The first is I sit down with your one-on-one and figure out how the hell are you different to everyone else who does what you do? So you're unique in your marketplace. Second, I show you how to communicate that on Facebook. And third, that's going to generate leads in your inbox. I show you how to then filter out the bad leads, convert the good ones. If you've got a high ticket offer, you sell it at 5K a month, 5K, 5, 5K for your high ticket offer. You sell one a week, you've got your 20k right there that's the same system i use myself for the last three years and all my clients it works bang that's that's my thing right there so what we've got there is you've got desirable results straight away i get coaches other service providers to 20k a month so when i say that they're like 20k a month sounds good without spending money on ads but then you get skeptical and you think so again i'm thinking of the skepticism like the weight loss thing i'm thinking of the skepticism what's the reason that someone's going to say oh this sounds like a load of this sounds like a load of crap or this could work this couldn't work for me or this sounds impossible well they're going to think oh that sounds like that sounds you know 20k a month from not spending money that sounds a bit you know sounds a bit shady to me so then i'll say this is how it works to give some believability but I don't go on forever with it. I just give you the high level sort of, you know, one sentence for each. First, we sit down and figure out how you're different from everybody else. So you stand out from a marketplace. And we do this one-on-one because, you know, that's how we have to do it. Uh, oh, right. Okay, that makes sense. Then we're going to communicate on your Facebook feed so the right people see it. Okay. When the right people see it, they're going to send you messages because now they see what makes you different. Okay, I'll show you how to convert them. Suddenly you go, do you know what? That could make sense. Then at the end, I throw in some credibility. So we want. So when we make a claim, we want to give some proof so people go, "All oh, right, it is working." It's the same process I've used myself for three years, and all my clients, it works for them too. Then you go, "Oh, right, okay." Well, I guess if it works for other people, and you start thinking, but the cogs start turning in your brain. You go, "Hmm, I wonder if this would work for me too." I guess you know, I wasn't planning to sign up for something. Maybe I'll send him a message. You know, and that's kind of what you want there. So uh, feel free to steal that for your own pitch if you ever have to do that. Because uh, normally, if you ever listen on Clubhouse or uh, maybe when you're doing your podcast as well, if you ask people to introduce uh, themselves, very often they'll go on for like three minutes and you'll at the end of it, you'll be like, I have no idea what he just said, but uh, I'm not going to call him out on it because that's kind of rude. But you'll be like, oh, right, sounds brilliant. Anyway. <laughs> I'm a little bitter about Clubhouse because I don't have an iPhone, so I can't join that little club just yet a little click yeah well wonder allegedly they are uh releasing to android android in may but who knows when <laughs> because frankly the, the, the platform's still a bit buggy if you ask me so we'll see but uh yeah <laughs> uh, do you know what there's actually a lot of people getting to go off track here there's a lot of people getting jaded by clubhouse and giving up at the moment because they've been on it too long so you might join at the right time yeah I, I got on not super early but pretty early but um i I didn't have, I didn't really understand, like I knew it was audio only and live only and not recording. So I understand like the, the premise, but getting caught on stage and the whole thing. And so I've been in a couple of rooms uh, actually with uh, one of my coaches and I think that was fine. Cause like I knew her, I'm like, Oh, I know her. Mm. <laughs> and I've been in a couple other rooms, but it like was very overwhelming. And then I would end up getting the notifications like on my watch every 30 seconds of a new notification from clubhouse <laughs> and i got so overwhelmed that like i just didn't do anything with it and was mad about notifications so um based off my coach in this one in her group we she mentioned clubhouse and i'm like i can't handle the notifications she's like turn them off yeah yeah you oh. quickly learn to, you quickly <laughs> learn to turn them off yeah yes <laughs> and, and like, so it just kind of I, I i like its idea and i want to be more on clubhouse but i 
I, I just haven't made the priority yet to get back in there after turning the notifications off. I like needed to like get it out of my headspace of it bugging me in notification versions, but I do like the idea. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're looking to grow on Clubhouse and build an audience, like I'm doing, I'm going to have just just over eighteen thousand followers, which is all right. Um, but I'm doing it in a very strategic way. Like basically, I'm running rooms every day and spending the time there that I want to spend there, but I'm not spending all day on the app because you know. Well, first of all, I've got a business to run, and secondly, it would drive me insane. But early on, I was spending too much time on there and getting addicted to it and pulled in and basically not doing my work. And ironically, talk spending all day talking about running a business and not running one because I was on Clubhouse talking about it. A lot of people fall into that category. But anyway, we're, we're going off track probably talking about Clubhouse. But yeah, there's, there's, there's an audience to be built on there, but there's also a lot of people wasting time on there as well. Someday I'll figure it out. Someday. I kind of, I wanted to mention also, um, even though this is a business series about people who want to start a business, that this copywriting skill, we've touched on this a few times, mm. but it's, it carries across to every area of your life. So not too long ago, I had asked Richard to critique a message that I was going to send to the former CEO of the corporation I used to work for to ask him to mentor me. And he read it and I said in there something about your tenure as CEO and Richard said, your tenure as CEO, why are you talking like that? You know, is that how you would talk in real life? And he mentioned that before, but to make it more simple and not be all formal and, and put some humor in there. So I haven't mm. sent that message yet. I think I will when I get off of here, cause I've been too chicken, but just in in your life using these techniques really mm. makes everything easier um it's, people it's funny how it's funny how you mentioned the ceo allison you go okay i'm talking to my audience i know to write in a kind of conversational way but i'm talking to a ceo now you know i need to be all formal it's like my feeling like ceos celebrities those sort of people i imagine they hate all that but like, oh God, you know, another corporate message. And they'd quite like someone to talk to them like, you no, know, like real, like like a friend would talk to a friend. Uh, they're sick of people like kissing their ass or like talking, you know, furthermore to my invitation last week. You're like, oh God, it's so, yeah, so dull. Um, it's like there's, um, there's a guy, John Buchan, um, who runs the Charm Offensive Facebook group. Good guy, worth looking up. Um, he, talk, he often talks about how, um, how he got business in his early days by like, basically sending emails to these high level CEOs, but in a really kind of conversational kind of jokey messing around kind of way. And people would always say that would never work with a CEO. You can't make those kind of jokes with a CEO, but he's like, well, nobody becomes CEO and suddenly decides, you know what? I'm CEO now. I don't want to laugh anymore. I don't want to have fun. I don't want to connect with people in a fun way. I only want to have really stiff, uptight corporate conversations and doing it that way helped him cut through all the noise. Now like, this is the funniest email I've read all week. Brilliant. Yeah. Send us your proposal. Um, so just kind of, kind of like, yeah, it all, this stuff can be used anyway. It's not just in sales. Every, I see everything that you want another human being to do in your life is a sale. You want your husband to take the bins out. That's a sale. You know, um, if you can communicate yourself in a, in a more persuasive way, he might actually go and do it. Um, you know, literally everything you want, even, even like, you know, 
convincing your mates of what day to meet up to have a drink or what bar to go to. That's a sale you're making. And if you can learn to be more persuasive in copy, you'll be more persuasive. I actually, when you're sending a text message, when you're meeting up with people, when you're talking one-to-one, literally everything you do will become more persuasive and more compelling. Even when you're telling stories about something that happened to you yesterday, when you're not selling something, it's still going to be a more interesting story and more entertaining and more fun because you've learned these skills. Um, it just, I feel like it just makes you better at life. I agree. I could not agree more. I would have thought that somebody was crazy if they had told me that before I took this class, but it's, it's completely true. Mm. Well, you, you, uh, you, I, bet you, I bet you don't even, I bet you don't talk to people in the same way anymore. I mean, you're still you, but mm-hmm. you don't kind of, you communicate a bit in a more concise way and a more, um, like one thing people keep saying about me on Clubhouse is you're very to the point. You know, you, you make your point very concisely. You get there quickly. Um, which could be seen as an insult, but I see it as a compliment when everyone else is taking three minutes to make a point. If I can make it in 20 seconds, to me, that's a bonus. I'll, I think the one thing I will never forget is something I had written actually for marketing the Unstressed Mama virtual workshop last year. And I said in there something about, I'll give you the knowledge. And you said, nobody wakes up at three in the morning saying, gosh, I wish I had more knowledge. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not what they are worried about. They're worried about this and this, these are the things you need to focus on. And I have, that has stuck there. And when I'm talking to people, I try to not Mm. say that, oh, I've got this information you might want because (laughs) then people are thinking like, no, I don't want it. Yeah, one thing thing we aren't (laughs) short of today is information. Right, yeah, and and when I watch, oh, sorry, Melissa. Um, when I watch other people's videos too, and they keep saying, I've got all these tips and tricks and tips and tricks. And I think, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from that. yeah, I mean, tip, tips and tricks aren't inherently valuable. You'll scroll your Facebook feed or Instagram, you'll read a tip or a trick and be like, cool, and carry on scrolling. But that's not inherently valuable. You won't pay a lot of money for some tips and tricks. You'll pay a lot of money for a, a massive life transformation. Like I'll, suddenly I'm, my business has gone from like, 2k a month to 20k a month in a month that's valuable or now or now you know you've gone from arguing every day with your husband to having a better relationship than when you were first married or you you always find yourself shouting at your kids and they won't go to bed they won't eat their tea they won't eat broccoli and stuff and now they're like these dream kids who know uh, who are like really fun to be around but they do what you tell them and stuff like that and there's no problems getting them dressed in the morning all that kind of stuff those are valuable transformations that's a that's a language you should be talking in anyway melissa i know you were desperate to talk about it we both I'll cut you off. That's okay. One of the other things I remember two things, just going through uh, the intro for his uh, Richard's free challenge. Um, he talks about these 18 different things about good copy. I think that was what, I mm. don't know if that was the exact title, but, and I mentioned the one, uh, uh, I think it was before we started about four lines or less. Um, and like nothing should take up more than four lines at a, at a time. The other one was to use less words. Um, so can you take a word out and still get the point across? And I started using that whenever, Allison, you mentioned using it in everyday life. I started using that when I write emails for work in my full-time job. I'm like, I write an email and I'm like, oh, and I can take like half the words out. And, you know, when you're in like a corporate-ish job and I say corporate-ish in the military, (laughs) Uh, but anyway, when you're in this job and like you get a bunch of emails every day, if I can take half the time to read them, that's in my mind valuable. And I Mm. emails. literally, I got this long email today and they're like, blah, 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 blah. And I wrote back, I was like, so can I do this or this? And he wrote back, do this. And I'm like, 
Okay, so what I think that's the same case for everyone. Why didn't you just tell everyone you need to take 30 days of leave? I don't know. But like he mm. wrote a really long email and I was like, I still don't understand anything. And I wrote back, I think it's one of these two options. And he confirmed it was one. I was like, you you've like wasted five minutes of my life <laughs> trying to email. <laughs> and I think he would do well. I think corporate I well corporate emails. Training. Corporate emails, for anyone who's got a day job, corporate emails are a great point. Because I used to work in corporate, as I said. Um, you're so right. You know, you get, for one, you know, one thing about email writing, what, when you look in your, like, Outlook inbox or whatever you're using, and you see, like, you know, 25 unread emails, what is going to make, what are the factors that are going to make you click on an email? It might be, like, you, you might go through it by, like, you know, uh, the one that was like the oldest that's not being read. But generally, there's going to be emails that stand out to you going, oh, I need to read that one first. I'm going to ask you, uh, what what makes you click on an email before a different one? Um, well, if it's someone that I recently signed up something for and I'm like, oh, what do they have to say? Um, it worked. There are ones I'm like, oh, do it. Does this pertain to me? Is kind of the question I ask. Mm, do, I need, okay. do I need to know Re- this relevance? Do, relevance. In, yep. In immediate. Do I need to know this right now? Because if it's mm. not, then I think, well, I could open it later. And we all know we don't usually actually go open them later. Brilliant. Relevance and urgency. Yeah. So you, yeah. yeah. So, like so so um, urgency ties into who sent it. So if it came from like, you know, super boss CEO. Um, who sent you an email and you can tell it's not like it's not like a you know, a corporate a comms communication that's sent to everyone in the company ceo has sent an email direct to you you're probably going to click on that because you're like what's the ceo want for me i better click on it and find out and you'll probably reply immediately and you'll read every word even if it's long and blathering um so the second thing but then when everybody but then when you see a bunch of names and those names are equal and you either just team members are just kind of the same to you or people you don't know the next thing is the subject line so when I go, when I talk about email marketing, first thing I want to do is I want to train people. And this is the same with my social media posts. I want to train people that when they see my name in their inbox, it's going to be worth clicking on. So I don't send them like, you know, five emails a day full of nonsense. I only email when I've got something to say. Um, so they know when they see it, oh, it's an email from Richard. I want to click on it because it's going to be good. It's going, I don't know whether he's going to make me laugh. I don't know if it's going to be something like life-changing information. I don't know what he's going to put in there, but it's going to be worth reading. Um, secondly, the subject line entices me to want to read more. Um, so it could be like some impending problem that's going to happen today, urgency. It could be some huge benefit I could get. Again, you know, that's like, well, I want to click on that because I want to get that. So, you know, um, let's say you weren't working at home, but you were in the office. A benefit could be something silly like um, it could be sent from like the lowest admin assistant, but they could have, you know, free him. Um, free, Free Starbucks coffee, free Starbucks coffees in the foyer, only 80 available, first come, first served. And when they mentioned the email, how is a promotion from Starbucks? They've come in, they're giving away these free coffees. You don't need to do anything in return, but there's only 80 available. You better believe a bunch of people are going to be whizzing down there super fast because there's the urgency and the scarcity involved as well. So you so you might read that if you fancy the Starbucks coffee. You might go, oh yeah, that sounds good. Um, and I need to look at it now. Um, or say if it was an impending problem. Uh, for example, my wife's starting a new job, but still in the same organization. And she'll send an email to a new boss who's basically been a bit slow, like pushing things along. So she's, she started off by saying, you know, hi, Paul, whatever his name is. I hope you're well. Um, we were chatting the other day about this. And then David, my current boss, said this. Da, 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 da. I was like, no, start your email with the problem. 
hi david I'm sorry, hi paul david has david just explained to me that there could be a problem with me starting on time um, based on this uh, because we need to get these documents back from you by this date, otherwise this won't happen. So I just wanted to clarify, did you want me to start in May, or are we going to push you back till June, or is anything I need to do on my end? So we start with the problem, so the guy reading goes, oh, right, I need to carry on reading because of this problem. But when she starts with, I hope you're well, this and that, blah, 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 it takes too long to get to the point, a bit like the email you were talking about, Melissa. So anyone in a corporate setting Think subject line, what can I say in my subject line to make somebody click on it above all the other unread items? Secondly, how can I make that first line something that they want to read on when they go, oh, this is going to be important to read on. So if you suddenly go, you know, minutes from the last meeting attached, da, 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 and then there's something at the bottom that's actually important, no one's going to read that because as soon as I read minutes attached, I'm like, next. Yeah, great point. Everyone needs to learn how to do this. Make, it, make the whole... <laughs> Corporate world, less, meh. Less corporate-y. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thing is, most people in corporate jobs aren't going to sign up to my copywriting course to learn to write better emails, sadly, because they're going to be like, well, I'm getting paid anyway. But actually, if you did learn to do that, your communication as a whole would improve. You'd probably find yourself going up the ladder because suddenly people understand what you say, both below you and above you, and they're like, oh, right. And you're able to sell yourself. When you go to job interviews, guess what? Who's going to have the best written resume or CV out there? Who's going to have the best written cover letter? Who's going to be saying the most compelling things in the actual interview, like actual salesworthy things where the person employing you goes, oh, yes, I see why this benefits me employing you. You know, you're going to understand how the person sitting in front of you thinks. These are all things that, like, it's like what we were saying a minute ago, Alison, like copywriting is your li is life now. It's like, it applies to so many situations, not just I'm going to sit down and sell like an ebook now and then go back to my life again. Not to mention as you're talking, I'm like, ooh, resume writing, that's a huge moneymaker. If you do gigs on Fiverr or something like that, that could be a great side hustle. Or, mm. you know, mom, I talk to moms all the time that are stuck home with their kids and they want some extra money, but they don't want to do a lot of the side hustles. Mm. I mentioned if they learn the skill, there'd be a million things open to them. Mm, absolutely. They could make money at nap time or at night, whatever. Well, I've, I've just been working with a career coach recently as a me coaching her. Um, and she came to me when she came to me, she was charging $300 for a resume resume rewrite. Um, and now I've got her up to like charging like 2k for an actual transformational course. Cause it's not just your resume rewrite. What happens when you get an interview for a job, you can't get it. Or how do you, if you want to switch career, how do you find the right job for you where it appreciates your skills, but you want to go and do something else. And then you get in there. How do you find the right people on LinkedIn who maybe can open a door for you? Then you get there and you have the interview, then you start, then how do you actually negotiate the best possible salary? All of these things that people need to know, not just a resume, which is like the tip of the iceberg. You put all that into a package, suddenly it's more valuable. But like you said, these people who, you know, suddenly just, if you're not doing it already, getting $300 for a resume rewrite, rewrite would be quite um would be quite appealing i don't know why i can't say rewrite today but you know you get the idea <laughs> you know that's like a huge thing so uh i i'm in the u.s navy and so i've actually never i was talking about this with one of my uh colleagues yesterday i've never written a resume and got an adult job and like in college i was like a cashier at a home improvement store so like i was like i don't know how to write a resume if i had to and while my current plan does not involve needing a resume. Um, you just don't know what life will bring. And I'm like, 
yeah, because the, then they, they do send us through schools and that's actually where my conversation with my colleagues started because I have to go to this like specific school and they talk about resumes. I'm like, yeah, I've like never actually even written one since college when I had to write it in mm. a college English, English class. Mm. So uh, <laughs> you're saying all these things and I'm like, oh, that's a whole another reason why I can like justify getting Richard's class in about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so and we're done recording um, <laughs> because of just the, you know, the opportunities it can give you. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, go, going back to what we were talking about before, Melissa, where I was talking about, you know, when you the most important part of copywriting is sitting down to think about it and thinking about it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation between you and another person. So who is that person? Who's going to be reading this? What does, you know, what is like, what do they look like in terms of like their life? What are the problems that are going on? What's going on in their head right now? What have they, what have they seen before from people similar to me? So if I was writing a resume and sending it to someone, I'd be like, okay, is this going to a recruitment consultant first? Or is it going direct to the hiring manager? You know, maybe I need something different for each of those people. Probably not, but I might need to have a cover letter that's different if I'll send it to a hiring manager and a recruiter. Okay, if it's going to a hiring manager, I'll go, well, no, the way most people think about it is the same as the way most people think about writing an email or a sales letter or something like that. They go, tell me what best practice is. What is the right way to write a sales letter? What is the right way to write a resume? So I think, okay, what has the hiring manager seen before? If I'm applying for a job and 50 other people are applying, what do the, what are those 50 people sending that hiring manager? Because I do not want to send them something. If they're sending that hiring manager best practice, I want to send them something completely different. Because otherwise, I'm just going to look like copy and paste, like the 49 other resumes on that person's desk. You're just like, oh, here's another one. I want it to be like, you know, red piece of paper, red piece of paper, red piece of paper, red piece of paper, yellow piece of paper. What the hell? You know, that's what I want it to appear like. How can I come across like that without trying to be like weird or wacky and, you know, kind of do stuff that's going to put me out of the running? How can I have a different resume, maybe in terms of appearance, but also in terms of the words I say where they go, oh, this is different, but also credible. This is the kind of way I'm thinking about it. And it might, and it might not necessarily come up with the answer immediately, but just thinking about it in that way is going to have a more productive result for you than trying to find the right way. Like going on Google and put, going on Google and typing in um, best resume template or the right way to do a resume is the absolute worst thing you could do. Because guess what? That's what your competition's doing as well. Um, I feel like I'm ranting at you ladies today. I hope it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> I just, um, I wanted to kind of start to wrap it up here, but one more story a couple of weeks ago, I, my inbox is just flooded with messages all day long from people trying to make pitches to me. And I decided to answer one the other day because I was getting so annoyed with them. And I thought, you know what, stop getting annoyed. Let's just move along here. And I'm going to answer a couple of these and see what happens. So this one person had said, Hey, how are you? I saw your profile, you know, it was like a total copy paste. You look so interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And I answered and I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a 40 something mom that lives in Nebraska and I'm not sure how I feel about long walks on the beach because I never know if I should have my shoes on or not. Mm. It's a real pain in the butt and I have an eight-year-old son who I cannot get to stop talking about bodily functions constantly. <laughs> and she, like, it totally disarmed her and I kind of ended up becoming friends with her. She sent me back a voice message. She was just cracking up laughing and 
she did kind of pitch her thing, but not really. It turned out we had a ton in common. And it's like, huh, I wonder if I answered some of these other people like that. Some of them are going to say, what? And move along. But it was an interesting little experiment that turned out pretty well. And she did, she does have some information that I wanted. I actually want information <laughs> sometimes, but um, it just worked out really funny that that instead of doing her standard copy paste pitch that she had ready, she went in a completely different direction. And it ended up being an enjoyable part of my day rather than an annoying part of my day. Mm, interesting. I like what you did there. I'm a big fan of like experimenting and trying out new stuff and going, how can I go in a different direction here to what people have seen before? Yeah, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, just another example, you know, that was definitely from, I always want to put humor in my stuff and I think I'm going too far or whatever. And so I loved that about your course too, that that's part of what you teach to put something funny in there. It's not all about being serious all the time. Nobody wants to be serious all the time. Yeah. Again, to repeat myself, I want people to feel like they're having a beer or a glass of wine with me in a bar. And we're just like, you know, just, you know, just chatting shit, just talking, just being like, yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. You're just laughing about stuff. And then we might have a serious conversation. Then we might make some jokes and talk about something else. And it's just like, like a fun chat, not this weird, like, Oh, uh, well, like when most people go into sales mode, uh, you see that I see this a lot when I train people on how to do sales calls. Um, I'll do a mock call with them and they'll do the discovery part of the call fine, whether I'm just asking questions and like, oh, so tell me more about your business and tell me about this and tell me about that. All oh, right, that's interesting, doesn't it? It's just a chat. And suddenly, when they have to make the pitch, they, you suddenly see them tighten up and they go, okay, this is the moment where I have to sell. Okay. So I would like to invite you into my program. And the program is like, it suddenly turns into this robot, like reading words off a screen or just kind of really uptight and weird. It's kind of, yeah, which, which we just want to get away from that and just be as normal, be, be normal, be weird, be funny, you know, just be your normal weird self. It's okay. It's okay to be normal and weird. If you can yeah. be, if normal, if normal, if normal and weird actually go together, <laughs> maybe ab abnormal and weird, maybe. We're all weird in our own way, which makes everyone ultimately then normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very yes. profound, Melissa. Yes. That'll be our quote from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we have a couple uh, questions that we have asked every one of our guests. So they're kind of benign, not necessarily anything, um, you know, about copy or anything. So okay. feel free to have fun with them if you like. So what is your favorite beverage? Um, <laughs> water. How boring is that? That is kind of boring. You know, you want to have lemon in that water? <laughs> what? You, you, you're some kind of crazy person, Melissa. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> lemon in water? Whatever next. No. Yeah, yeah, it's water. I'm sorry. As you know, you might, you might know you're in this interview. I've drank a whole one of these in this interview. <laughs> yeah, I just drink it all day long. The water is very good. Um, I was just joking. Allison adds lemon in her water. Um, her question we asked her in our first episode. <laughs> All right, the next question is, what is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Um, okay, I wanna say something really cool, not like check my phone or go for a piss, but it's one of those two things, sadly. It's, it's, <laughs> I, think you want, I think you want to hear me say, oh, I, go to, I do a yoga and then I do like a meditation and I go downstairs and make my green juice, but I don't do any of that. 
so you check your phone well, yes probably yeah yeah I, I try to avoid doing that but i always fail I, it's, it's literally i wake up and go oh, phone this is yes now you've now you now you said it it sounds like a problem i need to fix you know we have the same problem it is the first thing i do i <laughs> yeah. actually my face my phone now recommends you know in this little widget i have on the home screen like I wake up and it's like, oh, open Facebook. And I'm like, yes, actually, thank you. I will open Facebook. <laughs> You're not helping me here, phone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then it's like Instagram. We're like, sure, let's go there next. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah. Let, oh, oh um, CNN, yeah, BBC Sport. Let's let's go around all of my ADHD sites in a nice little loop, all 10 of them. And then we'll start at the beginning and keep on doing that all day. Yeah. All right. And then our last question, uh, since we are the Unstressed Mama podcast. Uh, what is your activity you go to to de-stress? Oh, um, I generally find myself not being that stressed anyway. So I don't. Okay, this, this is something I learned from a coach of mine where I was saying like, when I'm a bit uptight or stuff, what should I do? And he explained it as being like, it's like, you know, those snow globes you get at Christmas where you shake it up and the snow goes everywhere. And he was like, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he's like, well, how would you make one of those settle? And I go, I, I go, well, you just have to leave it until it settles. I'm like, is that a trick question? He goes, right. So when you're stressed, when you're uptight, that's like having all the snow particles in the air. And when you do stuff to make it settle, it's like you're just shaking it again. So sometimes it might be you go for a walk. So I was like, oh, I went for a walk the other day and I was feeling stressed and I came back and I was fine. And he went, that's good, but maybe you were just set, you settled because you just gave yourself time to settle anyway. And the walk was a, wasn't the reason. It was just something you were doing at the time. You stopped doing other shit and then you did the walk. And then because you stopped doing other things apart from a walk, you left your phone at home or whatever, then you settled. So what I find is actually nothing. Like I, every day I intentionally have a period around half an hour where I stop looking at my phone. I stop doing any internet stuff. I just sit on the sofa and I might have a TV on or something, but I just sit on the sofa and it's just like letting that snow globe settle. And then I kind of go into evening mode of Richard where I can actually like talk to my wife and just kind of chill and listen to her and stuff like that. If I don't do that, I stay in kind of work mode where I've got like a thousand thoughts in my head and I'm thinking about what someone said before or what happened on Clubhouse or a new offer I'm going to create. And I find that I can't really pay attention to her well enough. And I'm kind of listening to once every three words and she's very good at detecting that. Um, and I don't want to do that. I want to be able to pay attention to what she's saying. Uh, so I found I need to go through that intentional period of us just doing nothing and letting the snow globe settle. Uh, so there you go. I love that, actually, that... I mean, we got everyone that we've asked so far has some activity they do. Um, but like you said, it really just is letting that snow settle. Um, and, I, and I know for myself, if I can just add on to your thing there, like it, when the beginning of the pandemic happened, we're all home together with our kids. And I noticed about like six months in, what I really missed was that transition period of when I would leave my office, mm. be in, that car, in the car for 10 minutes before getting to my kids. Um, to pick them up for the day. And like, I didn't have that because the kids were climbing on me. I have smaller children <laughs> climbing on me while I'm working and showing up on my class time with like their underwear. And I'm like, okay, well, this is happening. And there was no, there was nothing settling. That makes like, we've been living in a, I, I have been living in a snow globe, it feels like for. Mm. Mm. Even, yeah. Oh. I, I mean, I'm not saying this would work for everybody, but 
it works for me. Um, just having that intentional, even if it's just five minutes, uh, five minutes, you go, okay, I'm switching off. And you don't have to be like, right, five o'clock every day, I switch off exactly. That's because sometimes you need to be more flexible. It might be one day you switch off at seven, but when you switch off, you go, right, five minutes of me time. And it's like, you know, the kids can do without me for five minutes. I'm just going to sit there and let it settle. Like you're just like, you can sit on your bed or sit on a chair, whatever, you know, whatever's comfy for you. Sit there, put your phone in another room so there's no notification. Just sit there for five minutes and let it settle and then go and do whatever you want to do. And it's so weird. It's just like, it's just, a, you, you I literally feel everything settling down and then there's a transition into a different version of me. Um, it's, it's something that's really kind of, it feels good. It's something really kind of nourishing about it almost. Uh, and most people aren't doing this. They're just kind of like the brains in like hundred miles an hour all day, every day. And then they wake up again. In fact, I've noticed that uh, this week I forced myself on Monday not to look at my phone and then go and do 90 minutes of work. And my work was so much more productive because I hadn't started looking at my phone and distracting myself and getting that kind of hamster wheel, the snow globe shaken up again. I started, I started a day on my own agenda that I wanted to do instead of like looking at messages from other people. Um, so important, but the problem is these damn phones are so addictive. It's hard, and it's right next to you on a nightstand. It's really hard to force yourself not to go, I'll just have a little look-see. And then 90 minutes later, you're still kind of scrolling some nonsense. Yes, for sure. Um, and I was just thinking you're our first male guest that we've ever had on here. So I was really wow. excited to hear your answer to the stress question. And I, it was especially interesting how you said, hmm, you know, I don't really get stressed that often because every female we've had is instant. Oh, I do this. I do this because they've developed something for sure mm. that they are intentionally doing to avoid stress. Mm, interesting point. I think with men also, it's an ego thing to some extent in the, I don't identify with stress because there's a part of me that sees it as a weakness. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like I'm supposed to be like this, you know, this strong entrepreneur who manages everything himself. I don't need any help from anybody. You know, I've got it all figured. Even though, even though we were talking about employing coaches before, I don't need any help with anybody, like emotionally problems and stuff. I deal with that myself. I'm the person other people come to with problems. I don't go to them with problems. Stress is like a version of that. So my version of stress isn't, uh, but by the way, this is a lesson to anyone who's trying to sell overcoming stress. Some men will uh, identify with it, but a lot won't. Um, if you instead phrase it as like um, specific things, like you have a thousand thoughts going on in your head at once. Uh, like I have diagnostic tests to go, this is when I'm in a state of stress. My stress is not like, oh my God, oh my God, my, you know, my, my hair's on fire. And it's, uh, what am I going to do next? Oh my God, I'm so worried about this. I don't feel like that. Instead, it's like I'm waking up between the hours of three and five in the night with my brain racing. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of tired, not wanting to get up. I have brain fog. I'm struggling to focus on a conversation like this. And you ask me a question, I don't hear, I don't, I don't hear half it because I'm thinking about something else. Um, I have a thousand thoughts generally going on. I can't focus on any one task. That's my version of stress. And then when I start kind of going through those diagnostics and going, oh, this is happening again, that's when I need to take some time out and let myself settle. But as soon as but if someone says, oh, I'll help you get over stress, Richard, my defensive reaction is like, I don't feel stressed. I'm a man. Yep. I think that that is very true amongst all of the men that I know in my life also. Mm. It's, it's funny, women. actually. Can, can I ask both of you, sorry to interrupt, can I ask both of you as women, like, why do you think this is? Like, why do you think it's okay for women to be like, I'm stressed and, you know, life's so hard and not okay for men? Um, or is this just something I've invented myself? I... I would say, I don't think that we think it's okay. I feel like we think it's not okay. 
to feel stressed, but we as a society have allowed all these stressors to be put on us and make us feel like we're responsible for all of these things. Um, therefore, then we feel the stress and it comes to a point, like I didn't used to say I was stressed, but now society has been like, well, moms and women, we know you do all these things. Mm -hmm. So you must feel stressed. I'm like, I am stressed. And it's like, now we should tell everyone we're stressed, which we do. And mm -hmm. I think that helps get it out. Um, but I think we've put a lot of pressure on ourselves as working moms and parents and, you know, trying to do all of the, I'm at the point where my kids are starting to do sports and do all these things. And I'm like, but I have a job and I'm running a business and I have, you know, a house and two children and they have schools and they're in different places and three different sports and trying to run around. I'm like, it makes sense why I would feel stressed, but I'm like, well, I kind of signed up for all of that. So I need to put my big girl panties on it, <laughs> not let it affect those other parts of my life yeah. that it could affect. I need to just try for me. I go for a run. I lift weights. I sleep more. Maybe I might have an extra glass of wine at night. Um, so like Allison said, I have the things to help cope with the stress, but simultaneously I am working on like you kind of just being like, well, I'm just not going to not like be stressed about it. And it is what it is, but that's hard. Mm. Mm. My, my feeling with the kind of doing stuff to avoid being stressed, um, like, you know, lifting weights and going for a run. Like, that's stuff you should, you'd want to do anyway, you know, that's stuff to just stay healthy. Um, but I feel like that's, that's just your version of like settling the snow globe. Like if you'd just gone and sat in the gym on a seat for an hour, you might, you might feel weird doing it, but you probably would have settled anyway. It's not the weights that did it. It's the fact that you took yourself into a different environment, didn't have your phone. You weren't checking your phone every two seconds and you were just doing something else. Um, so it's, but you know the gym gets the credit you're like oh i need to go for a run to de-stress no you just need to put in a different environment and not kind of like just go okay i'm going to settle now and when you kind of go i mean i'm just saying this is what works for me it might not be true for everybody but i feel like just understanding that for me allows me to go oh i'm in that mode again i'll let myself settle understanding that as you said before melissa nothing is permanent like the most upset the most angry you've ever been in your life you don't feel like that about now so there must have been a settling period where it where you transition through it this is just making that a bit more deliberate so my take on the difference here is a little bit different i think it has a lot to do with just ingrained mindset so something we had, Melissa's mom is a guest a few weeks ago to talk about being a mom with adult children. And if, if the worries about being a mom ever get less or things like that. And she said something that really struck me is at some point you have to let go and realize not everything is your responsibility. Mm. So an example of that, a few weeks ago, my son did got in trouble at school and, um, when I found out about it, my reaction was, oh, gosh, you know, what do I need to teach him? What do we need to do to prevent this from happening in the future? What did I do wrong that I missed here that he would do this? It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but this was my instant reaction. And I want to sit down and talk to him and get to the bottom of this. Why did you do this naughty thing? And when my husband found out, he said, seriously, dude, you can't be doing stuff like that at school. And he was over it. I was awake that night. I thought about it for days. I mean, it's just a completely different because I feel like it reflects on me that 
oh, he went to school and did this naughty thing. And his mm. teacher must think that I don't make him mind at home. And I don't think my husband has even one iota of any thought like that. Mm. You must be a terrible parent because your child did one naughty thing. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I honestly believe the solution to 90% of all problems is to do nothing and it will fix itself anyway. Um, <laughs> and you can, you can worry about it and you can try and, you know, micromanage it all you want. It's going to fix itself anyway. Like it sounds like a single your son, like if you spend like, how old is your son? Eight. Eight. If you spend eight years trying your best to raise like, you know, a healthy, happy, like little boy who, you know, respects others and does the right thing, probably, I don't, I don't know about for an eight-year-old. Probably he's going to figure most of his stuff himself out anyway. You know, he's going to do this and be like, oh, I got told off at school. I shouldn't do that again, whether you tell him or not. And you can give him a good telling off and he won't do it again. And you'll be like, oh, I didn't, I, I fixed that. Or you can say nothing and he might have done that anyway. I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm not going to stray any into relying on giving parenting advice. But I just feel it's like a general, as a general thing, it's like how many times do we try and micromanage and fix something that ends up getting fixed anyway? Yeah. This has went into a whole new direction. It did, it's didn't it? Very helpful. <laughs> also, also you probably, your, probably your longest interview ever as well. <laughs> yeah, it just might be. <laughs> no, this is awesome. Like, the, very helpful. And it, to think about a lot of these things, too, is just, it's mm. beneficial for everybody to think about maybe just letting things be and, and not getting so stressed. Mm. Myself, I think, especially. I think also... Um, Again, it's a massive generalization when you're talking about two groups of four billion people each. But I feel as a as a trend, women tend to be more overthinkers than men are. I don't know why this is, but like my wife's the same. She's a massive worrier, a massive overthinker. Um, like I had this conversation with her, like the number of times where she's worried about something happening, or worried about this, worried about that. And it's like, if you didn't worry, the thing is going to happen or not happen anyway. It's like, what do you get now? It's like the idea of worry doesn't really compute with me because I don't worry very often, unless it's something like really big. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going on stage in front of 3,000 people. I'm going to feel some nerves for that. I'm going to, but it's going to be, but it's not like I'm worried about it for weeks beforehand. Whereas, geez, I feel like maybe like a women thing as well. Please correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't want to be like, you know, tell, tell this is how a woman is when you're going to be like, uh, absolutely not. How dare you mansplain to us on our, on our, on our own <laughs> podcast. But I just feel like an observation. I feel like you're more likely to go down the worst case scenario route, like the ridiculous thing of like, yeah, but you know, what if aliens come from outer space and hit me with a space ray when I'm out walking, you know, or something ridiculous. like that. I'm like, where did you get that from? You know, obviously I'm going too far there, but it's like, it's like some, some of the things my wife comes up with are almost at that level of like, how did you, why are you even thinking about that? Like, it wouldn't even come into my head. It's like, if you use that level of creativity to write a book, you'd be more rich than JK Rowling, you know? It's like, it's amazing. I, I don't know. Do, do, you, do you ladies do this as well? Or is it just like, <laughs> Yes, I've spent, before my daughter went to kindergarten, but then it was virtual. So it was literally all for nothing. I spent hours thinking about how I was going to figure out to get one kid to one place, one kid to another, where they start at different times and I have to work. My husband has to work and sure we could do before care, but is that safe to send this five-year-old before care? And I went through all of these scenarios and contingency plans. And then it was ended up being virtual. Um, I did it again for this following year because we're hoping to not be virtual and I'm still in that same situation. And I did everything and got like what my schedule was going to look like and made a whole plan. And then my schedule changed. And I was like, seriously, I've done this over and over again. How many times now? <laughs> when I should have just been like, I'll figure it out like in August. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, that's, I'm not just saying that. That's exactly what I would have done. Be like, oh, well, I'll sort it out then, whatever. 
And I honestly wouldn't have given it a second thought. I'm not just saying that. Um, and that's not because I've done loads of work on myself. It's just, I kind of feel like that's kind of how I'm built. I just don't tend to worry about that kind of stuff. And I, I might go, okay, that thing's coming up. Right. Okay. I'll park it till I have to worry about it. But yeah, it's, I, I can't even, it's like, it's like, it, it seems like looking for me, it seems like a form of self-torture almost from looking yeah. from the outside. Yeah. And I thought about it for a whole year before I even needed to think about it. And then thought about it before and it didn't have to happen. And I did it again, three times, three years in a row. Like, oh, next year I'm going to have to figure this out. And I went through like a list of contingency plans. Yeah. I really should let the snow settle and back up again. Easy said and done. Like I'm not, I'm not a mindset coach or a brain coach or anything like that. I can't tell you how to fix this stuff. That's just the one thing I do, but that doesn't mean you're not going to overthink or whatever, but it is. I mean, that's another conversation of the day. Can you overcome this stuff? Is it something you want to overcome? Maybe you're getting something out of it. I don't know. You know, your brain's obviously doing it because it thinks it's benefiting from some way, but I don't know what that is. Me neither. I think we just <laughs> got to the root of why the unstressed mama exists. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because um, Melissa and I met, we had the same first business coach and her business was called Business Beyond Baby. So we were this whole group of moms who were starting businesses and had babies and we were all super stressed. And because we're most of us working a full-time job and having a kid and doing this thing at night. And um, so Melissa came up with the idea and everyone was like, yes, I went in on that too, because we all had the same overthinking over every, you know, so trying to trying to spread the message of let's mm. just calm down a little here. You know, anyone in your, like your boat, I feel like you probably also have a tendency to be like quite unkind to yourself mentally. Like, oh, stuff that's all. Oh, why didn't I take that when I do that? And it's like, you have to give yourself massive credit for the fact you've started a business and you got to this point, despite all this nonsense in your brain that wants to stop you every step of the way. Like you can think of like the most ridiculous worst case scenarios ever it's amazing you even leave the house in the morning yeah here you are you know running a family and a business you know it's like I, you could argue it's much easier for me because i don't think about this stuff so i don't have to I don't, it doesn't i don't think i'm not scared of this stuff or worried about it because it doesn't even enter my head you've got all these like bloody potential lions and gremlins at every door that is ready to stop you and yet here you are opening the door and going through it anyway that's it you have to be a you have to come when we can have an in-person event and you're going to be the life coach, snow globe coacher at the <laughs> yeah. Mama in person. I'm, I'm, I'm like, never been a life coach, never wanted to be, but here I am, new career. <laughs> well, this can be your next, your next venture. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Your session is going to involve everybody just sitting still and chilling out and turning off their phones. Yeah. E easiest money I ever made. Just sit here for the next three hours. I'm off to the pub. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been awesome. I knew it was going to be good, but I think it was even far exceeded what I expected. Um, Richard, we are going to post definitely the link to your free challenge in the show notes. And from there, if somebody wants to join your copywriting class, they can sign up, right? From the yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, go and try out a free thing. And obviously, if you hate it, don't buy it. If you like it, then you can, you know, it's very easy to buy the full thing. It's not, you're not in any doubt when you buy the free class of how to buy the full thing. So um, you can go and do that if you want. And how else would, if somebody just wants to get a hold of you right now, what would be the best way? Um, so you could type my name to Facebook and find me, but sometimes other people pop up. So if you if you want to find me on Instagram, my Instagram handle is Richard Fletcher Official. You can find me on there and send me a DM. Awesome. 
thank you so much for your time. This was so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, it was an unexpected conversation, especially when Alice had said, okay, we'll wrap this up about 45 minutes ago. And then suddenly we started talking about life and the universe and God knows what else. I feel, I feel like I should have had like two bottles of wine before we had this conversation. But right. <laughs> well, I'll have a bottle or so whenever we listen to it when it's aired. <laughs> sounds like for a sure. good plan. Maybe, maybe, we should have, maybe we should have some wine next time we do this. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thank you again, Richard, for your time mm -hmm. and your wisdom about copy and life skills and how we <laughs> should be less stressed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Sarovi. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash unstressed mama and on Instagram at unstressed mama. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode. If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, the best place to reach us is through our Facebook group, Instagram page, or email at unstressedmama at gmail.com.